everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. It's Friday, and that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani, I am a critic, I write for The Rap, I write for The Film Verdict, I write for Slash Film, and gosh darn it, everybody calls me Bibs. Uh, William has all of the energy tonight. Oh, I'm Cause, faking cause, it, man. Because I, I, I have very little. Um, I, uh, I made the mistake of... Uh, Napping before I came here, mm. after I had a big burrito dinner. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, power naps are very misnamed. Uh, they are. They don't yeah. give you power. They kind of sap you. My name is Whitney. Yeah, uh, Whitney Seibold. I too am a film critic. I uh, contribute to slash film, and uh, yeah, we're here to uh, we're we're on the uh, down sliding edge, mm. the come down. After destroy all monsters, because yes. there's no topping destroy all monsters. We we had a, we had an amusing interlude with Bambi meets Godzilla, but that wasn't Godzilla proper. Mm. That was an American offshoot, or Canadian. Sorry, it was a Canadian, Canadian. offshoot. Uh, that was a Canadian offshoot, and it was its own thing. We are back now in the realm of Godzilla, but are we really? Because here's the thing: this movie that we're reviewing this week. Mm. On Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, the show where we review every Godzilla movie. It's known in America as Godzilla's Revenge, even though Godzilla takes no revenge on anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's known in Japan, or the, uh, the, the translated title, uh, is All Monsters Attack. And having watched this movie from top to bottom, front to back, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure it's a Godzilla movie. Godzilla is technically not in this movie. Uh, like, Godzilla appears on screen. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the monster footage is reused. Yep. S- most of it from Son of Godzilla, although mm-hmm. some other movies kind of work their way There's, there's a little well. bit of Ebera in there. Yeah. There's a little... There's a tiny bit of King Kong Escapes. Uh, li- yeah. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But it, it's mostly Son of Godzilla. Yeah. Reused monster footage. Yeah. Uh, and all of it takes place in dream sequences. Mm-hmm. The main character is a little boy. Mm-hmm. Named Ichiro. Uh, his name is Ichiro. Uh, and he's played by an actor named Tomonori Yazaki. Yep. And uh, he has a kind of a miserable life. Yeah. He, uh, he, his parents are really busy. They're always out working. Yeah, his, his dad uh, works at a train yard. Yeah, he's like, working every day, all night. His mom works somewhere, I think in hospitality. They're a little nonspecific. I yeah, feel like she might work at a hotel or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he goes to school. He comes home alone. Uh, he has a neighbor who sometimes takes care of him. He builds toys. Uh, but, yeah, he comes home to notes from his mom. Not coming home again. Yeah. yeah you, you know and, where uh, the snacks are. Do your homework. And then she calls to say, I'm not coming home at all today. So you're on your yeah, own, buddy. Which, um I learned from a movie called Nobody Knows, which is mm-hmm. a Hirokazu Koreeda, uh, about the phenomenon of children that are just abandoned. Like, yeah, functionally. Yeah. Like, like not, not like infants at a church door or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, eight-year-old kids are just sort of, their parents just don't come home one day, and they're just left at the apartment. Yeah. And the parents just sort of move on. And that's wow, that's ev- dark. Yeah, and that's evidently just a phenomenon, and the kids have to just learn to fend for themselves. That isn't specifically what's going on here. In fact, the but, term uh, that they use in the uh, uh, the subtitles is a latchkey kid. That's that's the American or English language term. I'm not sure if that's strictly American. I, th- I think the, that might be British, but the basically, idea, yeah, your your parents are busy all the time, and you're left to your own devices, and you are you, given a key to the apartment. Yeah, you you become self sufficient at too early an age, probably. Mm. 
Uh, and that's this kid. Uh, he comes home, he, and we'll go through it in more detail, but here's the gist of the movie. Uh, he's got bullies. He, he doesn't like his bullies. Who does? Uh, he fantasizes about visiting Monster Island, which is officially Monster Island now. It used to be called Monster Land and Destroy All Monsters. Uh, and teaming up with Godzilla's son, Manila, or in the American version, Minya. Uh, in this version, Manila slash Minya talks mm-hmm. and is sometimes the same size as the child, except when he wanders off camera and then starts becomes... fighting monsters and then he's big again. Yeah. We're just not going to deal with that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, while he's having all these fantasy sequences that are ostensibly teaching him how to stand up to bullies, but it's mostly just teaching him how to wail on people. Uh, meanwhile, there's like a Home Alone plot where there are these two thieves <laughs> who are trying to get away with 50 million yen, which is the rough equivalent now of like over $300,000. A good haul, but you're not going to retire on it. Mm. Um, and uh, they're like hiding out in this kid's area or whatever, and they end up like running into the kid and having to kidnap the kid and will the kid be able to use what he learned from his monster friends and his dreams to save the day? I don't know, probably. But here's the thing that at no point in this movie do they ever specifically clarify. Uh huh. And this is why the film is, and a lot of people consider this the worst Godzilla movie, and I can see why. Oh, yes. Mm. I can see, I haven't seen all of them yet, but I can see why. And it's definitely not a film I would call particularly good. It is a little more interesting than I thought it was. And there's, here's why. There's something going on what we're about to talk there's about. There's a couple that, of yeah. things that are going on. But I, this, is, this for me is the question the movie never concretely answers. And what makes it a weird entry in this series. The kid knows about monsters. Godzilla. Manila. Mm. Uh, all the others. At no point in the film does it clarify that in the reality of this film, those monsters are real... Or if there are movies he's seen. That's true. They uh, never say that. So I don't know if this is officially a Godzilla movie or a meta-narrative about a kid who likes well, Godzilla movies. I hadn't considered that. I, I thought that the way they were con- talking about the monsters at mm. the beginning of the movie. Huh? It's like, I wish I could go to Monster Island. Why do you want to go to Monster Island? Uh, that could very well be a real place. It, it's But it's also explicit. something I would have said when I was That's a kid. True. Like, I want to go to Monster Island because mm. in my head, I think I either A, think it's real, or B, I'm trying to fantasize because yeah. my life sucks and I'm being beaten up by bullies all the time. There was uh, a read of this movie I had when I first saw it, when mm. I was little. Actually, this is one of the movies I saw, like... Mm. When it was broadcast on like UHF TV when I was a kid, I remember yeah. this one distinctly. I, I definitely saw uh, big parts of this one because I remember all like the weird pieces from the other movies edited together this yeah. way. I, I remember uh, Minula's voice, Minya's voice mm-hmm. was really horrifically annoying. Even mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I didn't like. Did it. you see the dubbed version? I the meant? dubbed version when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched the uh, Japanese yeah. version now. I had a very specific memory of the dubbed version, and then I heard the the Japanese version of Manila's voices more high pitched, kid like. Mm-hmm. In the American version, they I cannot find the official cast sheet for the American dub of this. Mm-hmm. It's not on the film. It's not on IMDb. But listening to it. I am 99% certain that the voice of Manila is Bill McCutcheon. Could very well be. Bill McCutcheon, who was Droppo in Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. 
he was he got around. He got around, and, and he, he had, had a very a pretty particular, prolific career. Kind yeah. of a Don Nazi kind of voice. And that guy's I'm, really bad. Yeah, that yeah. Was... I'm if you watch a clip, I posted like a clip on like my Twitter just before we recorded this, but it'll be like a couple of days early, earlier by the time you, this comes out. Um, yeah, I'm I'm ninety percent sure that's Bill McCutcheon, and he's just doing Dropo again. <laughs> doing Dropo sounds <laughs> like a really horrible drug. On Mars. He's dead. We're gonna we're gonna Dropo Manilas and go to Monster Island. Yeah, uh, but you were saying. Uh, but here's what I think was going on in this movie because I I hated this movie when I was a kid. Mm. I rewatched it as an adult and I disliked it. And I now I've seen it a third time and I'm still not so fond of it. Uh, but I'm I'm trying to get under its skin because uh Ishiro Honda yeah directed this one mm-hmm. and he loves it yeah he, he he this is one of his favorites yeah he think the first one was the best but this one's kind of like one he really yeah. really has a lot of affection for it's very strange uh maybe it's because this is like the most human Godzilla story mm-hmm. it's just a story about a kid yeah it's a story about a little kid yeah. uh the Godzilla stuff is an afterthought almost mm-hmm. But I'm starting to think, you know, this kid is dreaming about monsters, and he's dreaming about... The name of his bully is Gabara, and that happens to be the new monster on Monster Island that Godzilla yeah. has to beat up, and uh, also named Gabara. Gabara looks a lot like Godzilla. He's a more of a more iridescent shade of green. He doesn't mm. have a tail. Allegedly, that's because the concept was he was supposed to be like an irradiated toad. Oh. Um, he also has uh, a he has electrical powers. He can like zap you with electricity if he grabs you. And my favorite thing, he's got uh, a horns in his head, uh-huh. and when he charges up, they, oh, they glow, glow pink red. like yeah. a mohawk. Yeah, yeah, nice, <laughs> very nice. I mean, it looks kind of like a cat. A little, yeah, that's, a little bit like a cat. I, I wouldn't have thought he was a toad. I thought he was more like a yeah, sort more of like more a toad wearing kind of like animal. an oni mask. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's like big, crazy-looking eyes. That that, yeah. that glow, and not with like a post-credits effect either. Like they have like a light in them. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of nice actually. It's a good look. Uh, so th- this kid is dreaming of beating up this bully monster, and the, the metaphor is pretty clear. But oh, very clear, yeah. what I'm getting out of this movie this time, this last time I watched it, is, uh, you know, I I love these Godzilla movies, and I, I've said repeatedly that they appeal to sort of a little kid inside of, of me, inside mm. of all of us. There's a sort of, like, very basic little kid appeal about watching these guys in rubber suits stomping around on miniature cities. Yeah, it's, a Lilo, to, it's sort of a Lilo and Stitch kind of impish yeah, there's, kind of malevolence. Yeah, there's this pl- yeah. playful uh, little kid destructive impulse that's yeah. kind of harmless because it's a little bit silly, but at the same time yeah. there's something very maudlin about it when you watch it as an adult. Yeah. But little kids like these movies, and uh, this was Ishida Honda kind of acknowledging that these Godzilla movies are have a really big kid audience. Yeah, little kids have been watching these a long time. Sophisticated adults aren't seeing Tokusatsu movies. Well, uh, that's probably a little reductive, but uh, p- perhaps. But as the the years have passed mm-hmm. uh, in this, the series, films themselves are getting less sophisticated as exactly. time goes on. It's and, been a weird journey, actually. Watching and I'm not happen. sure if it's like a chicken and egg thing. If mm. they're getting less sophisticated, and then more kids are going to them, or if kids really liked mm. them, so they're deciding to make them a little bit more kid friendly as the series goes on. One thing that I was uh, has been postulated. I don't know how true it is. Uh, but uh, a lot of these later Godzilla movies allegedly were shifting their tone into a more kid-friendly zone because the Gamera movies, which are, have much less respect in America thanks largely mm. to the fact that they're mostly only known for the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes. Yeah, they haven't been given yeah. big releases the same way Godzilla has. But were hugely popular when they came out. Mm. Uh, those movies were more like directly kid-friendly. There were kid yeah, there were protagonists and all. Kids, yeah. yeah. Gamera was known as the friend to all children. Uh, 
those movies were very, very popular, and that might be the chicken and egg thing where, like, oh, those yeah. were inspired by Godzilla, then Godzilla got a little bit more inspired by Gamera to become more kid-friendly, and so on. Makes sense. Allegedly. Uh, but the question that arises, wh- what do kids get out of this? Well, you know, yeah. there's the destructive impulse. That's pretty simple. Yeah. But uh, little kids are kind of projecting themselves into Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be Godzilla. Yeah. And they are learning something from Godzilla. Mm-hmm. What lessons are they learning? They're learning to... To, wail on people. Well, to wail on people, but, like, to to get power. To gain mm. power. It's a power fantasy now. Yeah. Uh, where I'm going to look to Godzilla, which Godzilla is actually, like, a, a figure of Japanese pride at this point. Sure. Uh, I'm going to look to the symbol of national pride, this mm-hmm. symbol of power that always fends off interlopers. And, you know, we were talking about in Destroy All Monsters, how the monsters are now kind of a symbol of... Uh, Japanese military might. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to use these national symbols of local pride to fend off my own personal problems. So I'm seeing a little kid not just sort of escaping into a fantasy, mm-hmm. but using Godzilla as a positive example for life behavior. And, and there's a, a little bit of a, a, a like a fable-like quality to. To destroy or to all monsters attack. There is, and there's also something that I quite like, and I think this might also be part of it as well, where I think Godzilla keys into certain aspects of the quasi-universal kid identity, mm. which is, you know, you're you're kind of uncoordinated, not as coordinated as we'll be later on when you're when you're grown up. So uh-huh. Godzilla lumbers, he breaks stuff. We've all broken stuff as a kid by accident. Yeah. Uh He's also largely disrespected by all the adult humans. And he is manipulated and he's considered quite a bother, a nuisance. If they like Mm -hmm. him, they like him kind of begrudgingly. We've all felt like that as a kid. Hopefully not too much, but we've all had moments. Uh, There's a good line in this movie, in the first fantasy sequence, where... Um, Ichiro, he he fantasizes that he's going to Monster Island, but first he has to take a plane, and then all of the mm. adults on the plane disappear, disappear yeah. in a creepy way, and then all of a sudden he's just on Monster Island, and I'm like, I don't know that we needed to go through all that. I know it's only like a 67-minute movie, but I still think that was kind of wasted. You can just, it's a dream. We know it's a dream. You can, mm. you, they're not, you're not pretending it's not. You just put them on Monster Island. But, but, that, but I think that's like kid logic. It's I like, guess. I need to take a plane... But I, I don't want to deal with, like, mm. the grown-ups there. So, uh, mm. okay, I'm on a plane. It, it's like the opposite rules of playing improv. It's yeah. like, okay, I'm on a plane. There's people there. No, actually, there's no people there. Right. Uh, right. And I'm going to land. Oh, and, and Minnie Liz on the plane with me. Right. So it's Paris when it sizzles. But it's, <laughs> but it's this. Uh, but the kid ends up on, on Monster Island. He sees Godzilla beating up some dudes. And he's like, yay! Uh, and then he falls down a hole. And there's this kind of Alice in Wonderland. Ah! Yeah, uh, light like, show kind of thing. Lands of course, very gently at the bottom. Yeah, and... I kind of expected him to land on Totoro. Like, it's that kind of imagery. Mm. Uh, and then uh, he's trying to get out. He can't get out, even though all the Bane guys are chanting, rise, rise. And uh, finally, someone... All, all the Bane guys. <laughs> I don't know what they're supposed to Batman, be. Batman, colon, all the Bane guys. The Bane guys in that hole in Dark Knight Rises. Uh, but someone pulls that, throws down a rope. He climbs, he grabs it, he gets pulled up. Turns out it was Manila. And... Uh, uh, he says, I forget what he says. He's like, hey, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah. And he says, we don't lie like humans. Hmm. And I thought to myself, this is in this kid's subconscious. 
there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> that that's like the first thing someone says in his dream is monsters don't lie like humans. Mm. This is where the wild things are. This is a kid who is rejected by his adults. Mm. This is a kid who feels sent, like he doesn't to, belong. Well, he's, and, he's sent to his room. He's and, he's and wild things are he's sent to his room. In this movie, he's simply mm. ignored for the most part. Yeah. Like he's he's gets the token I'll call to say I'm not coming home. But I'm still not coming home and you're on your own. I hope there are no bullies or criminals in the area after you. Yeah, and uh, Max, from Where the Wild Things Are, imagines his bedroom turns into a, a, the wild land. Yeah. And there's way... monsters there and he's lord of the wild lands because he's just yeah. that much more terrible. And the monsters are kind of destructive monster creatures. Mm-hmm. They're not very sophisticated either because Max isn't very sophisticated. And... That's the fantasy that we're in. He feels rejected by the human world. There are bullies in this world. Hmm. There are adults who don't give a crap about him. There's one cool toy maker guy. Yeah. But he's still not his parents or anything. He still just is just doing his own thing. And then there's criminals who would do him harm. And yeah, he doesn't know steal. that. Yeah, yeah, but still, you know, he, yeah, the world of humanity sucks and he's rejecting it. There's one bit that they mentioned early on. They kind of drop this, but it feels like Ishiro Honda, uh, Ishiro Honda kind of making a uh, making a commentary about the world that adults are creating for kids, which is air pollution. Yeah. Air pollution has gotten spectacularly bad in, in this. It looks like up, an industrial zone. Yeah, um, let me look up where it is. You have to expect Jack it's... Nance from Eraserhead to turn up and yeah. be his neighbor. Like, it's really just a, a terrible place to live. It's in a Kawasaki. Yeah, but like specifically the way it is filmed, mm. it's like junk piles and dilapidated buildings and industrial exhaust. That's wherever they filmed it, they filmed it to look like that. The very air he breathes is trying to kill him. And when we get one brief moment with his father and one of his co-workers after he sees his son walk by, they have a brief conversation about his son. And the conversation is... Um, yeah, we're trying to get out of this town. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, they say the air quality is, like, lethal to children now or something like yeah, that. Uh, and the guy's like, no, he's, he just can't stand up for himself very well. It's like, he doesn't give a shit about his kid very well. Like, he, he, he hates him. There's just a certain baseline negligence going on. Mm-hmm. And I, it, the kid is subconsciously picked up on it and is desperately seeking companionship from either the monsters that he knows lives on Monster Island somewhere off the coast of Japan or... The monster movies that he watches. Yeah. Either way, he is projecting and we're in this kind of weird, kind of kaiju version of Pan's Labyrinth meets the Chuck Norris movie Sidekicks. Did you ever I, see Sidekicks? No. Sidekicks which, was Which uh, is weird because that, that serves Jonathan Brandes. Yeah. And, and I had a big crush on Jonathan Brandes. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody had a crush on Jonathan Brandes. Oh yeah, he was considered like this teen heartthrob in the yeah. 90s and sadly he died way too young and it's very tragic. Mm. Um... But uh, Sidekicks was an early 90s Karate Kid knockoff uh, in which uh, Jonathan Brandis played a teenager. He also was bullied a lot. He had asthma. And uh, he has these vivid, elaborate, ridiculous fantasies about teaming up with Chuck Norris in various Chuck Norris movie situations. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he's Chuck Norris's sidekick. He's his friend. And over the course of the film, he meets a guy. He uh, learns martial arts. He decides to join a martial arts competition. And... But it's like a martial arts team. You can't just be yourself. There's got to be like three people on it. And when he gets there, some tragic happens. And at the very end, it turns out Chuck Norris was there as a celebrity judge. And he decides, since he saw the kid being bullied or whatever, 
I'll be your third. <laughs> As a power fantasy, it's kind of cute. It's not a very good movie, but it's it's kind of cute and relatively harmless. But um, yeah, it's it's a kid sort of uh, disassociating from reality into a fantasy world, and there's this there's the sidekicks version of that, and there's the Pan's Labyrinth version of that, mm. and those are kind of the opposite sides of the coin. One is more tragic, and one is more yeah. kind of celebratory of that mindset. Somewhere in the middle is all monsters attack because there's definitely a bitterness to it and there's definitely monsters, but there's also a kind of a playful kid-like quality where yeah. Manila speaks English there, and there's, says There's these things. dark things or, going... Or he speaks human language. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. talking about like he's being neglected, he's being yeah. stalked by criminals, there's yeah. air pollution. It's still filmed in a really bright, mm-hmm. brisk fashion. Like you said, this this is not even a 70-minute film. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this one was released as um, sort of like a film festival uh-huh. It, was, it was like a double feature with like oh, shorts yeah, and a cartoon. There was like a regular year. Oh, what was it called? Because there's this ended up being like a tradition like a, throughout the seventies. It's like a, a Peter Cushing movie of some kind. Uh, no, there's a uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, the to- uh, Toho's Champion Festival. Okay. It's the Champion Festival era, and it's basically they were, this, these were like sort of films that were geared more towards children, and they started gearing the Godzilla movies into a more kid friendly realm. Yeah, it was, specifically in this era, and it was it was paired with uh, yeah. Uh, Terrence Fisher film, a Christopher Lee, uh, Peter Cushing science fi movie. Which one? It was called, I, I, depending on who you ask, Night of the Big Heat, or, and I like this title better, uh, Island of the Burning Damned. Wow, that's a double feature. Yeah. That sounds like a very sharp turn in the middle. I was actually thinking when I was watching this, I was like, what is the best Godzilla double feature? And I think it might be the original Godzilla and All Monsters Attack. A, because they were Ishiro Honda's favorites. Okay. B, you really get like, wow, a lot happened in that 15 years. (laughs) Like, that's 15 years and you went from this somber sort of exploration about nuclear horror... To all monsters attack. All monsters attack. Somehow that happened organically. It actually did. Mm. Weird. Same director, even. Yeah, very. Does that ever happened where like the tone changes entirely, but it's the same director comes back like fifteen years later in a series? I guess Nightmare on Elm Street. That yeah. First, that first one is really scary. Yeah. And as the sequels go on, they get like a little bit more cartoony. Yeah. And Craven was like produced and I think helped write the story for, for Dream Wars. For three, yeah. So but, like that one's very tonally that, different and he was, did have a hand in that. But that was directed by Chuck Russell. It True. was a lot more special effects oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot of like cool kills, but it ends with like this action movie sequence where the mm-hmm. kids turn into superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, and then you get to, like, four and five. Five, like, has almost no plot or is barely followable. Uh, four is a little bit wild. So the series turned into something very different over the course of the 1980s. Mm. And then uh, and then you see Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and that, like, has a 3D sequence. Mm-hmm. Then Wes Craven came back for Wes Craven's New Nightmare in 94, a decade later. Around there, yeah. And, lo, it was scary again. Yeah. So it wasn't... the Quite the same thing where, like, he kind of changed, he came back and changed the tone, or he mm. was there the entire time. I would argue that George Lucas's return to Star Wars, mm. like, his, the one he directed, the original Star Wars, and mm. then the prequels are very different cosmetically, yeah. tonally, uh, what their thematic ambitions are. I would also say that, like, when you, I don't know if it's really a return to norm, though, like, Ridley Scott mm. going from Alien, and then to skipping Prometheus, all the others to Prometheus. Yeah. 
they really don't feel like they're of a piece. They feel like they're like they have similarities, but like it feels like that's true. One one is like this very haunted house movie in space, but it's also very down to earth. The characters sort of like talk over each other. It's very kind of gritty. Prometheus is incredibly slick, and it's like Mm -hmm. this weird contemplation of like Christian themes. Like there's a lot going on in Prometheus. Alien like lets its themes mostly just sort of play in the background. It doesn't like. It, Prometheus is just talking about all of it constantly. It's yeah. like it's really in your face with everything it's trying to explore. Both pro- approaches are fine, by the way. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, they're very different films. I'm, I'm the oddball who actually really likes Prometheus, but uh, I love the aesthetic. Uh-huh. I love the aesthetic. <laughs> I really don't think it's a well-told story. Oh, uh, I I'm fine with uh, sort of sloppy storytelling stuff yeah. and and bad screenwriting stuff if. The ideas intrigue me, and mm. with something like Prometheus, the ideas intrigue me. And yeah, the aesthetic is great, and the sense of mystery, and the, the mm. weirdness of the monsters and the design, all of that is, is enough to carry me through. But but the, even uh, this is different, though, because Ishiro Honda's been here mostly the whole time, yeah. guiding it through this weird evolution. I think it's actually a little closer akin, even though it's not exact, to how uh, Don Mancini uh, took, you know, Child's Play. Oh, yeah. And that... Tur- you- turned into this, like... yeah. Queer carnival by the end. Yeah, if you don't if you don't include the uh, reboot with Mark Hamill as the voice of Chucky, which is actually a pretty good movie, very mm-hmm. different, but it works. Um, he was part. He wrote all of them. Mm-hmm. He directed quite a few of them, and now he's doing the TV series. And like, it started off as just this horror movie about a kid's doll going on a killing spree, and then they kind of repeated that a couple of times to, to varying effect. And then with Bride of Chucky, it went into like this more elaborate, satirical second. camp. Sort of yeah, vibe. Well, it, and... it, it was the mid '90s at that point. Yeah. It was sort of writing the coattails of Scream, and in right. fact, the poster was made to look like Scream. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so they turned it into a comedy, and then they decided to just go full full bore horror comedy by the fifth one. Mm-hmm. And then they brought it back to the more horror realm, and then they got into a more elaborate psychological realm, and then it became as Don Mancini is very queer, yeah. and like it's just like all of these sort of subtexts that were in the story became the text. Mm. In a way, I, that started with Seed of Chucky mm. in, in in earnest, but it just kept expanding. And yeah. So that, that series has changed dramatically with one person involved in some way in all of it. So that, maybe that, that's, that's a closer... I think that's probably the closest analog we got. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the uh, the double feature then is All Monsters Attack and Seed of Chucky. That's the double Ooh, feature you watch. I like that, actually. That'd actually be that's a, pretty a good one. That's a weird one, but I love it. Weird, but perfect. Well, like, little kids can't watch Seed of Chucky. There's no, no, no. That's, that's it, one yeah. for the adults, but, like, still weird, though. Anyway, um, where were we going with... Where, where were we in the conversation about this movie? Because there's so much to actually unpack. I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, uh, let, let's just, let's just start have... chronologically in the movie. Right. So the kids... It starts with the kid walking home. He runs into his bully. His bully is named Gabara. Uh, and... There's this bit, and this is important later, where he finds a vacuum tube on the side of the road. The kind of thing you used to put in TVs to make a vacuum mm. tube TV work. Um, and he, he, he wants it. I don't know what he's going to do with it, but he thinks it's cool. Uh, he's a little kid. He finds a neat thing. I know. It's, it's his. Yeah. yeah, they just make a big deal. The vacuum tubes are very important to this film. Like They come up all the time. Uh the bully wants it because he also loves vacuum tubes. He doesn't love a good vacuum tube. Uh, and so he, like, he takes it or whatever, and he says, I'll give it back to you. All you got to do is you see this. There's a guy down the road, mm. and he's like painting a billboard. He's on a ladder. 
and he's on like he's got like his motorcycle next to him. It's like the bicycle thief, all right. And he's just like, all I gotta do is go over there and honk that guy's motorcycle horn, which will probably make him fall off the ladder and hurt himself. Mm-hmm. And that'll be really really funny, and we'll love it. And the kid's like, no, I don't want to do that. That's a dick move. And they're just like, yeah, dick moves are cool. And he's like, no, I'm gonna <laughs> run away. Oh, you coward! <laughs> you coward as you cowardly resist peer pressure. <laughs> Nothing is more cowardly than resisting peer pressure. It's pressure. I just think bully logic has always been weird to me. It's but just uh, with logic. Uh, there's, a, there's a there's a kind of logic. Yeah, to it. Uh, I've always been uncomfortable with the way bullying is depicted in movies because I don't mm. think it's accurate. It's not what I witnessed when I went to school. It's not oh, what so. I experienced. When Grant, I was... Granted, everyone's experience bullying yeah, is very different. Yeah. But like, well, in what way are you? Just, are you well, I, I saw you know bullies bullying kids, but those kids were also bullies. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's uh, not always true. It's not it's not always true. But, no. you know, the, the, the way it's depicted in movies is there's like a, a single innocent wilting flower over in the corner mm-hmm. that the bully will like target and approach and I, attack that person. I, I have actually yeah. seen that. In You've seen that. OK, I, um, I remember when I was a kid, I was bullied a lot. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Uh, We're and, film critics now. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was in like elementary school, like fourth or fifth grade. Mm. And I was so sick of being bullied, I decided, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to approach this logically. It's like, I, it's like it's, I'm going to school every day. I'm in, stuck in the same rooms with these people. There's, I can't escape my bullies. They're yeah. always around. I have to change my circumstances somehow. So here's what I'm going to I'm going to try this. I'm going to go up to the bully... And I'm gonna ask if I can join his group. Okay. And then and he won't bully like me anymore. Can't beat him, join him. Yeah, kind of, yeah. basically. And this had never been tried before. They looked very perplexed. All right. But finally, he said, "I guess so." <laughs> and so, for this, this lasted less than one day, by the way. Right. So don't don't worry. Um, and so we're all just kind of hanging out, and for a minute, it's like we're all just kind of like there's no cruelty going on. We're all just getting to know each other as people, and it wasn't too bad. And we're kind of like playing in the playground at lunch. And then after like a little bit of just doing regular kid stuff, nothing untoward, the the lead bully of the group said, I'm bored. Let's go bully someone. <laughs> and I was like, that's it? You just sort of do that. Yeah. That's all there is to that? This isn't like coming from like some place in your soul that you're trying to like... That's just boredom. No, it was like literally yeah, the, just uh... like weirdly pragmatic. And honestly... I lit- I got up right then and I walked away and I was like I I can't I yes. I thought I thought I could no this is um, I can't I can't be a part of that. Let's go bully someone. It was really weird. weird. I didn't I didn't think that would just be what. Yeah, yeah the the most accurate film I've seen about bullying uh, was a documentary film mm. uh, that was up for an Academy Award. Oh, um, it was a documentary yeah. short. It's called When We Were Bullies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and yeah. and I think that is a little bit more of a, a natural depiction of how bullying operates because it was like a it, mob mentality. It was a mob. Yeah, all all of the kids in a single class bullied this one other kid, mm-hmm. and. Like, none of them had it out for this kid. They just mm. thought he was a little bit peculiar. There, there was an the, incident like, in which this kid, like, did something wrong and everyone had to stay after school for a little yeah, while so because everybody, of it. There was, a, like, some resentment, but it wasn't really fully directed. Like, they talked to him after that incident and yeah. he was kind of their buddy. But something happened one yeah. day where something snapped and everybody just started picking on this guy. Like, at and, once. Yeah. Like a, like a circle. So, I, I think the truth of bullying is... You know, there are there are plenty of victims, but there are also plenty of bullies. No, true. And and very true. Mo- many of us are both uh, sort of 
periodically in different periods throughout our, our childhoods. Uh, when I said that this scene would be important later with the guy mm. with the motorcycle, I meant it. We're going to come back to that All right. at the end of the movie. Um, he goes home. He runs into the toy maker guy. The toy maker guy is working on what he, a toy he calls like a kitty computer, mm-hmm. and it's like a it's like um it's like a fake computer for kids to play with. Like you yeah. have like a fake cash register, or, yeah, or a fake oven or my, something my, like that. My son has a cash register. There you go. So there was a kid friendly computer, and the kid's like, "Oh, that's great because it can do my homework. It's not a real computer. Oh, then I don't care." And then he goes upstairs to his own to his own apartment. Uh, to all the messages of his mom saying she basically doesn't care about him. And then he pulls out a kitty computer he has built himself. Oh. Uh-huh. So that toy guy ripped off this kid, by the way. And uh, he, like, he's... I assume he, it was a fantasy, because nobody else ever sees that computer. It, but it, it looks like just a collection of junk. It's not like sci-fi that stuff. That's like it looks like something, and things. Yeah, yeah, like it looks like stuff he, like, sort of taped together. It doesn't uh-huh. look like it would actually work. Like, I had, like, my dad used to... Uh, but before he died, obviously, he would uh, repair motorcycles. And he would have a lot of leftover junk and parts. And I would play with it. And I would pretend I knew what the fuck I was doing. I had no idea. Uh, so I figured it was the kid doing that. But he's using this computer to call Monster Island and say, Hey, Monster Island, come pick me up. And then the fantasy sequence begins. So I figured he was just playing with it. Maybe you're right. Again, the world of this movie is very confusing. <laughs> he imagines himself into basically the events of Son of Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla's around Monster Island. He's beating up a bunch of people. Briefly, we see Manda, so that's from Destroy All Monsters. Um, and he sees Godzilla beating up some guys. He falls down that hole. He meets Manila. Manila commiserates and says, "Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I have a bully here too. His name is Gabara." Huh? <laughs> and Gabara doesn't look anything like the kid. Doesn't like doesn't even doesn't even wearing the same color scheme. I feel like he could have done a little more effort in that regard. Um. But Gabara sorry, shows up. Sorry, and... the same name wasn't enough for you? Nah, it's a little... It, I... What? <laughs> you, you're saying Ishiro Honda was like, well, we could give the kid a, a green shirt. Ishiro Honda's like, no. Let's give the nine-year-olds in the audience a little credit. <laughs> Come on. All right. Anyway, uh, Manila is basically saying, like, my dad wants me to stick up for myself yeah. and fight my own battles. Uh, because, as we see in this movie, uh, all Godzilla does every day is go from one monster fight to another. That's it. Yeah. He fights He fights a giant praying mantis, he fights a giant condor, he fights a giant lobster, and that's it. That's his whole fucking day. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And you know what? I'm sympathetic. That's a tough job. Can you imagine? <laughs> tough road to hoe. Yeah. Like, even wrestlers fight only, write, day, yeah. only fight, like, once in a while. They don't fight literally every day from dawn till dusk. So, they, but they don't? Those I luch- just realized, you know what, did, I actually did, don't did know. Did those luchador films lie to me? No, you know, well, no, the luchador films, they have very rich other lives. That's true. They're going yeah. to, like, parties and stuff. Yeah, they're, they're inventing time travel, for crying out loud. I've seen some luchador movies which are pretty great, actually. <sighs> that's a genre people don't respect enough, honestly. There's a lot of wonderful... <laughs> the, the, the Lucha Libre films. Are, there's a film that came out this, uh, just this week called uh, Cassandro. Yeah, which, which is, is a biopic. A, a, a biopic about Cassandro, a real-life exotico. Yeah. Which is a, 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 a class of uh, 
sort of like foppish luchador. They'd yeah. come out sort of in drag, and, and it was all based in homophobia. It was like... Yeah, they would ma- always lose. Ma- ma- yeah, they would lose, and everybody could just sort of laugh at these genderqueer characters. Yeah. And here comes Cassandro, a gay man, uh-huh. who wanted to say, no, let's have the Exotico win. Yeah. What if the Exotico is, like, the champion this time, and actually became, like, this and actually, really popular actually, figure? actually kind of changed oh. the, the whole thing, which is it's a pretty cool story, mm-hmm. actually. Um, Gal Garcia Bernal is really good in that movie. Yeah, yeah. we'll review that on another podcast. Um, but um, alas, I see no exotic kaiju. But um, where Manila's fighting Gab Gabara and everything like that, and then the kid gets pulled back into reality yeah, so rather wait, violently. So he wake up, and he, yeah, he kind yeah. Of gets jarred back to the yeah. waking world. And the toy guy's like, and he's hey. just like laying on the floor a lot yeah. of the time. He just took a nap on the floor. And the guy's just like, hey, uh, the toy maker's like, hey, listen, uh, your parents called. They're not going to be home. I'm supposed to feed you. And he's like, I was about to meet Godzilla. What are you doing? Leave me the hell alone. <laughs> and he runs out again, and he decides he's going to go, I don't know, hunting for more vacuum tubes or whatever. So he, like, runs into this giant dilapidated building. Meanwhile, there have been, like, reports on the radio about this, like, bank heist that's gone on. Yeah. They're allegedly in the area. Uh, and, and what if it's the same diamond heist guys from Dogora? That would be cool. That would be pretty cool. Uh, the kid rummages around this, again, this horribly dilapidated building. It looks like it's haunted. Uh, and uh, he doesn't realize is that there are two criminals hiding in there, and he finds one of their wallets. Hey, free wallet! So he grabs the wallet, he runs out, and the criminals like, because there's always like the one smart criminal and the one goofy sidekick criminal, because the smart criminal can't find any competent help well, ever. They're not that smart. No, well, I mean, o- only a stupid person would follow an evil person. That's the message I always get from those. That's why there's always a bumbling sidekick. Again, my argument is always after watching the Superman movies, uh, Lex Luthor in the original Superman movies, the uh, Christopher Reeve ones, um, has a bumbling sidekick named Otis, played by Ned Beatty in the first Mm -hmm. film and the first part of the second film. Uh, And Otis ruins everything constantly. He's constantly messing things up, writing down numbers on... Yeah, he's, he's not just... A bumbling psychic, he's an incompetent psychic. And I realize that Lex Luthor is a criminal. I realize that Lex Luthor doesn't want anyone who thinks they're as smart as Lex Luthor because who the hell is, but surely you can do better than Otis, right? Surely there's you can do a little better than Otis. Nope. No better. Hold on, hold on. Well, first off, actually, yes, because in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, we meet Lenny Luthor, who mm. is admittedly a, a an obnoxious stereotype of 1980s teenagers, but is competent. Yes, but how young is he? He would have been a child at the, the during the events of the first Superman. If he's a Luthor, he's probably a child prodigy, and we can work with that. <laughs> anyway. All right. Anyway, my point is this. Uh, my theory, that has been I'm working with this forever, is that Otis was Lex Luthor's roommate in college. They were assigned together randomly, and Luthor hated the guy, but when Lex Luthor's dad died, Mm. Everyone hated Lex Luthor so much, and Otis was the only one who gave him like a there, there pat on the back. Okay, only so one who was there friends. for him in like the one moment of need Lex Luthor has ever known in his entire life, and he can't bring himself not to like <laughs> to, to kick out Otis. Yeah, and e- even even when like he leaves Otis in prison at the end, it was begrudgingly. He was mm. trying to help Otis escape. Yeah. he just you know he couldn't get into the hot air balloon in time. Right, dang. So. 
roommates. Only a justification. So they have to track down this kid to get this wallet back. And so they do. And they have to, like, kidnap the kid. And the kid starts, like, zoning out in the middle of the kidnapping. And, like, it just travels back to Monster Island. Mm. It's, it's like a coping mechanism. And while he's there, he sees Godzilla teach Manila how to use his fire breath, which apparently is not exactly the same footage from Son of Godzilla. Apparently, Shiro Honda wanted to reshoot that a little bit. So like, yeah, the relationship would be would match the tone of this new film. So that is new a little footage. Bit. Uh, yeah. The um, the special effects were done by Honda himself in this time. Yeah, um, it's the only time a- he a- did both. Eiji a- Tsuburaya was the special effects supervisor for most all of these Godzilla movies. Yeah. And uh, typically works, like, for a special effects studio. Mm. And this film was so low budget that they mm. didn't bother hiring a special effects studio. Yoshido Honda just did it himself, yeah. which makes go a long way to explain why he liked it the most. He actually got to do the most monster mayhem, like hands on. Yeah, maybe that's so, actually yeah. I hadn't thought about that actually. That's actually kind of interesting. Hmm, mayhap, <laughs> mayhap. Um, anyway, uh, he learns from watching Godzilla and Manila that a good father would show interest in his kids. And actually help them with their problems, even if the solution to their problems was just violence. Uh, his father isn't doing that. His mother isn't doing that. His neighbor isn't even doing that. They're all just kind of letting him do his, his own shit. His father doesn't approach the other nine-year-old and just start beating the kid in the face. Right, which is what Godzilla eventually does. Well, and Manila has to put in some of the work fighting Gabara in these uh, fantasy sequences. And the kid helps him using the power of math. Uh, there's, like a, there's like a physics thing it's like a boss fight in the video game you have to get Gabara onto this thing and then he can jump on this lever and it would like send Gabara flying and mm. Gabara would be like ah I didn't expect that I don't understand physics um and then after Manila like gets in some actual good licks Godzilla just comes in and just cleans up he like gets Gabara in a headlock and he punches him over and over and over again like Popeye would do <laughs> like it's just beating the crap out of this guy like listen I had to teach my kid to stand up to you, but seriously, don't beat up my kid. Punch, mm. punch, punch. And I can, again, this isn't really a healthy way of approaching problems, but again... It's for cathartic a, for a movie story. It's a good yeah. movie story, and it's, I think it's cathartic for a kid who feels abandoned by his parents. Yeah. That a parent would go to this length to protect them mm. when his parents have done essentially fuck all. Yeah, as near as we can tell. They're because busy. They're working, working he has a, parents. He has a roof over his head. He has food. He has no companionship. He mm. has no mentorship. No one's making sure he isn't, like, well, you know, sticking um, forks in sockets or whatever. Like The, the, the demands of the, the economy at the time. Just both parents have to work. I, we don't not, know what rent is on that tiny apartment he goes to. There's a tragedy there. Yeah. Obviously, there's a tragedy there. But from the kid's perspective, and the movie is from the kid's perspective, that's irrelevant. His parents mm. aren't doing enough. Yeah. And that's There's... what this is about. He's looking to Godzilla as a, as an alternate father figure and the existence of Manila, whether it is in reality or in the previous two Godzilla movies where Godzilla actually had a son, is something Ichiro is projecting himself onto mm. and wishing, oh, if only Godzilla was my dad. And there's a definite tragedy to that, whatever your interpretation of the film is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your, your dad isn't there for you, so you begin dreaming your dad is Godzilla. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. You know, and again, that's Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. It's also sidekicks. 
It's the perfect trilogy. Uh, uh, there, there were a lot of... Uh, we talked a little bit about this... Um, like cancel too soon episode we did for a TV special called Fluffy Dogs. Oh yeah, uh, it was a failed. It was like a failed pilot. They aired as a TV special. Well, it wasn't just a failed pilot. It was like an entire failed toy line. Yeah, like they were going to put all, like all of their eggs in this Fluffy Dogs basket. Yeah, there were just these like um, it, the the toys were like these like kind of My Little Pony Cabbage Patch doll things. Yeah, like, like yar- yarn like hair yeah. and yeah, they, and, and they look very huggable and squishable and it's great. But the cartoon was way more elaborate and involved like, like the, the fluffy multi- dogs are aliens from another dimension that was a multiverse yeah. <laughs> they had superpowers this, this like stuff. magical like a wand or a rod or something that opened up the yeah. portals and yeah um, it, it was it actually wasn't bad actually which but is it, very weirdly ambitious but it, it's it's clearly not the only example of this you know no, e- no, no. et preceded it but um the idea that a, a kid is living with a single parent yeah. And mean which means the single parent is usually working and they're out a lot and the kid is alone a lot. And yeah. a lot of these movies are about uh at least the American movies mm. are about how the kids when left to their own devices find adventure. Yeah. That adults in their lives are actually uh you know they're being abandoned by the adults in their lives and that opens the world to them. Yeah. They're trying to take sort of a positive spin to that. I've read a lot of books like that. Sure. Some of my favorite books like have that the notion that the kid, the parents are either absent or just a little bit neglectful or just not paying attention. Mm, and the kids and, have their own world. Yeah, and the kids get yeah. to sort of go out into the world and discover things on their I mean, own. There was some way to get yeah. to Terabithia. Yeah, it's Bridge hmm. to Terabithia is yeah, that thing. Secret Garden um, is that as well. Secret Garden yeah. is that. Uh, yeah. there's, there's a whole wave of like indie films in the mid-20th century mm. that started like being all about this stuff, like Shoeshine mm. or uh, even The 400 Blows, which I think mm. is actually directly connected to this movie because if you count all the punches thrown in this movie, it's exactly 400. <laughs> I wish that were true. Wouldn't that be a uh, great <laughs> bit of trivia if that were true? For one second, you believe that. For one second, you believe but, that that was a real thing. But you can see what was going on the United States when all of these kinds of movies this isn't just you know, yeah. kids imagine adventure genre mm-hmm. this is uh, a result of skyrocketing skyrocketing divorce rates yeah. in the United States a lot of kids are having this experience yeah. they're le- being left behind guilty film producers are trying to come up with a story <laughs> to say you're being left alone yes but look what we've done we've opened the world for you <laughs> we did uh-huh. I, I was I, I'm a child of divorce I was raised yeah. during that time we did go out into the neighborhood and you know I'm not going to say we got into trouble because we didn't, but we just sort of explored. Yeah. Because we were on our own. Yeah. Uh, I was a latchkey kid briefly. Sure. Um, so uh, it, it's. I'm wondering what's going on in sort of the Japanese economy or maybe the Japanese mm-hmm. sort of marriage trends maybe. that was going on that kids were being left behind. Mm-hmm. And whereas the American films, let's use E.T. as the counterbalance. Sure. Because uh, 400 Blows is from the late 50s. That's actually before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, let's, uh, let's, let's go like, mm. to where the genre of like latchkey kids have magical friends. Yeah, so it, it predates it, clearly, because all monsters attack, but E.T. codified it. E.T. E- 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 is like, yeah, the big pivot point. It was a big, yeah. huge hit. And then after that, mm. we had Gremlins, mm. we had all, we had Nuki, we had Mac and Me. <laughs> and they weren't all good, but we did have a lot of them. Loved, uh, they had a, a Turkish ripoff festival at uh, the Cinephile, or Cinefamily, yeah. at one point. And uh, they were going to be showing, uh, like, Turkish Rambo, uh-huh. Turkish Star Trek, and Turkish E.T. Turkish E.T. is a nightmare. And, 
but then there was also the other Turkish ET. Yeah. <laughs> There's like I meant Tur- both. Yeah. <laughs> They're very strange. There's so many ET yeah. knockoffs in the world. L- look up weird. look up Turkish knockoffs at some point, dear yeah. listeners, because you'll, oh. you'll, there's there's a world out there to explore. Um, but yeah, E.T. Uh, tried to take a very positive spin on, uh, uh, to use a cliched phrase, the broken home. Yeah. The single parent home. Because uh, the mm. kids had kind of messy rooms. They were alone a lot. Mm. The the creature became sort of their friend, but also a little bit of a surrogate parent or a surrogate child that they had to look mm-hmm. after. So it allowed him to become the parent. You know what I wonder? Uh, these were all positive things. And he got, mm-hmm. and in fact, for, for in the realm of the film, in the realm anyway. of the film. Yeah. And, uh, one of the alien superpowers mm. was that like, he's psychically linked with the child. Yeah. There's, there's a scene where he's, per- get, they're really connected. Yeah. There's a scene. This is a bizarre scene in the movie where yeah. the alien is drinking, uh, like beer light beer out of the yeah. fridge like and left getting, home alone and it just goes and it goes into the, the fridge, fridge and starts drinking beer and it gets drunk so i guess yeah. its physiology is similar to ours yeah and but then henry thomas henry gets thomas the school. kid is is like not there he's in school and he is getting drunk so yeah. there's like yeah this kind of psychic link he is literally alone so he can learn empathy yeah and ishiro honda is not interested in that kind of treacle no there's actually a bit of dare I say, a bit of a hard edge to, <laughs> to all monsters attack. I think Whitney is gradually coming to the realization that he might like this movie. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if I do, but I'm finding things in here. That's what I'm saying. It's, a, it's an interesting film, whether it's or not it's all yeah. like, it's, it, it, it's not terribly entertaining is the problem. I, I was just thinking about, like, we were trying to find, like, how far back this, like, kind of latchkey kid with a magical mm. friend kind of thing goes. Like, where is where is the earliest version of that? And I can't say, but... Maybe the earliest version I can think of mm. uh, would be not really a magical friend, but the friendship itself is so magical. Mm. Lassie. Well, that kid spends uh, a lot of his time with that dog, and I that dog, s- he takes care of the dog, the mm. dog takes care of him. In the American version adventures. of Lassie, like Lassie Comes Home, yeah. that was, uh, I think it was a child, I think both of his parents were living at home, I think he had siblings as right, well. Right, but he was left, but it was like, um, it was like, it was very but he rural, was, he was on his own all it, it was very rural, he was left alone, but it was actually kind of a nuclear family unit in the American version. If I'm, you go back to the original mm, story, though, yeah, uh, it's just him and his mom. So oh, Lassie, Lassie actually does fit that mold if you go to the original story. And in fact, if you saw, there was a really great version of Lassie from the early 2000s, mm-hmm. where I think Samantha Morton played the mom. In I that heard one. that version was good. Yeah, yeah that, that, that version that. was yeah. pretty good because it actually had like a little bit of a tragic element yeah, to it. Um, but it all depends on where you are and what's going on economically and, and with sort of parental trends, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of films like this during the Depression. When there were mm. dead parents or uh, veteran parents who died in combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of kids were sort of left to kind of explore Tin Pan Alley. You know, that's where the little mm. rascals come from. That's yeah. where Skippy comes from. Well, but Skippy's um, a weird one, though, because Skippy actually comes from a, from a healthy home, a rich mm. home. Yeah. But then every but then because his par- his parents are neglectful in a different way, mm. they just assume everything's fine. So he just gets to run off and go to literally the other side of the tracks okay. and go run to this, with uh, impoverished friends. Uh, yeah, yeah. With, like, in like a shanty town, and he actually prefers that community. Mm. They're better, more interesting people to him. Uh, so it, there's an element, but it's not quite the same. Well, uh, Skippy maybe not, but all of those other children are, oh, sure. are you know impoverished but, and but it's from Skippy's parents. perspective. Yeah, like, yeah, fair. Um, but. Uh, so yeah, and I, feel, I I don't know enough about sort of Japanese social history to know what was going on in the late '60s mm-hmm. uh, to really say that this is that's what's going on in All Monsters Attack for sure. Yeah, but uh, that's kind of what it feels like that there's this kind of commentary on to, on 
ch- children being left alone kind of en masse across the entire country. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the, the criminals that kidnap the kid, the kid uh, is, again, he completely disassociates. He falls asleep. He dreams of monsters. He has a nightmare. The, even the criminal is like, hey, kid, wake up. You're having a nightmare. It's weird. And then... The criminals get like sort of out of sorts. The kid runs away, and it's briefly it's a little like Home Alone because he like puts like a trap in this dilapidated building for like the criminals to fall in yeah. and hurt themselves. They're fine, but they hurt themselves. Um, and uh, when all is said and done, the the kid gets away. The criminals get arrested, and the kid learned from the Godzilla in his imagination uh, the power of self-actualizing and or violence uh, and uh, at the end of the day the criminals are arrested the kid is a bit of a local hero uh and there's a scene and i want to focus on the scene for a minute because i'm going to come back to it when we're done there's a scene where the kid it's in the morning it's like the next day mm-hmm. or maybe one day after or whatever i don't know how long it takes to go through the whole police thing uh and the kid's about to go to school and the mom is home and she tells her kid, I'm so sorry for everything. I've learned a valuable lesson. Uh, I'm going to be home more from now on. I'm going to prioritize you. And the kid says to his mom, that's okay. I'm self-reliant. Mm. And he leaves. There's yeah. an attempt at an emotional re- you know, reunion and sort of reconciliation. And the kid is beyond that now. He's grown and up, the yeah. mom missed her moment for that. <laughs> and there's a moment where she's all alone and she's very, very sad. The movie continues, but I want to go back to the scene in a minute. He walks outside. There's a whole bunch of reporters there that want to interview him. And he says, I learned how to fight the, the, the bad guys from my good friend Manila. Yeah. And they go, what? And the toy maker says, yeah, I think, you know, we have gods that we worship. Maybe kaiju are kid gods. <laughs> and they're worshipping these gods and getting what they need from them spiritually. Mm. Which is a weird thing for the creator of Godzilla to sort of put in kind of abruptly in yeah. this film. And just sort of leave there at the end for us to sort of wrestle with. That we have actually a, encouraged kids to look up to these creatures as sort of deconic yeah, mystic heroes. Yeah. The idea that the monsters are deities isn't something that would be uh, revisited until the American Godzilla movies yeah. in the t- 2010s. Yeah. Uh, they call them titans. And uh, yeah. uh, and I think they even call them gods a couple times. Godzilla, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's Gogeta. I know, but in the American version where they call him Godzilla, they Mm. actually, there's, I love, Rebecca Hull is in like King Kong versus Godzilla, or or Godzilla versus Kong, actually, is what that one's called. Mm. Uh, And I just, she's one of the best actors in the world. And I get it, she deserves the paycheck, but the movie does not deserve her, and she deserves better. But that, she, that, that movie's a hoot, though. It's okay. <laughs> I, I it's think fun. it's really a blast. All of the Kong Godzilla stuff is fun. All of the human stuff is padded. Uh, and Just like a traditional no, Godzilla no, no, picture. No, 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 no. More than that. Right. It's, it, it, it absolutely collapses like a pile of deadly wings. I don't like that movie that, movie that much. But it all comes down to when she says the word Godzilla, she emphasizes the word God in such a way that it makes you like, Makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's like, she just, in one word, justified mm. her paycheck. Just by emphasizing that these are gods. Godzilla. Yeah, but but she's, boy, she said a bit of cool. Anyway, so that's there. It, that's it, heavy. It, it makes you think, you know, like, 
Yeah. It makes you think in the way that it makes you think after you've had a couple of joints. Yeah. Really makes you think. You know, God backwards is dog. Yeah. Makes you think. No, actually, nothing's making me think yet. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the kid then starts walking to school. He runs into his bullies. Uh, the bullies and he, and he completely a... unimpressed by the the adventure he's been in, by the way. Oh, uh, and um, he kicks the crap out of his bully. Yeah, uh, in like this interestingly shot sequence where like it's like a bunch of actions and they end in a short freeze frame, mm. uh, making keeping it light and and assuring yeah. that there's no actual like kid violence striking you know, yeah. on camera. I I think it's actually not a bad way to handle that visually. It's kind of distinct actually, um, and uh, he's like yeah. I'm not. I'm not afraid of you anymore. Uh, I'm not going to be bullied by you anymore. I'm. Mm. I'm better than that. And then he goes and does the thing that they peer pressured him to do earlier, honking that guy's horn. He falls off his ladder, gets a face covered in paint, which is probably toxic, and uh, his whole his whole day, his whole job is ruined. He's probably going to get fired. Going to go home. Going to start drinking. His life is over. Uh, and the kids. So You're this is this is learning our, a lot from this scene. I think there's a reason the kids said no in the first place was because it was bad for that guy. It was a mean thing to do. Mm. But now he's just gonna do it, and so he does, and he feels really good about it, and he runs away, and he like runs past his dad. He's like he's running the train station. He's like, hey dad, if you really love me, you can actually do one thing for me. Would you mind just sort of putting the kibosh on this situation because I kind of got myself into and that's like, yeah, okay, hey, I'll pay for your laundry. Mm. The end. Yeah. Two things. First, that scene I mentioned earlier with the mom, uh-huh. Ishiro Honda wanted that to be the ending. Right, the kid just leaves. and The, the kid leaves, asserts his, asserts his dominance and mom is sad and that's the movie. Okay. He didn't want the reporters talking to the kid. He didn't want the kid to stand up to his bullies. He wanted it to be depressing. All right, I admire that. Good for okay. him. And apparently there was an alternate cut that was released in the 80s that did end there at his oh, request, okay. which is very cool. I don't know how I'm true not, that never, is. Never seen that cut, but yeah. I mean. Awesome. That's great. But I'm watching the end, and I'm thinking about the title. Because Destroy All Monsters... Mm was it's it's a command you know yeah. destroy all monsters their monsters are attacking yeah. we have to destroy all monsters all monsters attack is descriptive of monsters mm-hmm. all monsters mm. attack the kid mm. learned to attack that kid is now a monster mm. that's it's, what we have come what, to what is it nietzsche said Mm-hmm. Uh, the, gaze the, not into the monster island, or monster uh, island gazes into you. No, it's uh, and uh, the, those who fight monsters must be careful not to become monsters themselves okay i I read a different part of the book, but okay. It's the it's the exact same part of the book, actually. <laughs> I think it's somewhere in the back. Anyway. <laughs> Beyond Good and Evil Index. What do we got? We got here. There you go. Monsters, monsters, Zilla, <laughs> see God. Okay. <laughs> it just says dead. Um, <laughs> um, Nietzsche jokes. I love them. Anyway, all monsters attack. Um, I had more fun unpacking this. It's, than I it's expected. Been, it's been more fun to talk about this movie than it is to actually watch. It's, That's the rub, it's, isn't it's, it? <laughs> I, I still maintain that this isn't a very good movie. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm glad that we got to talk about it. I think sure. there is a lot more going on in this movie sort of thematically than most Godzilla movies, really. Frankly, yeah. Uh, you know, I, although 
even though there's less going on in something like War mm. of the Gargantuas, yeah. War of the Gargantuas is a blast. Yeah, it's really entertaining. There's there's a musical number, and there's these two weird-looking mm. Frankenstein monsters wailing on each other. Yeah. What's going on in there? Couldn't say. That that thing is confusing <laughs> and weird, good. but it's, its weirdness makes it appealing. Uh, this is maybe a little bit richer. Mm. I could see a version of this where... Okay, hear me out. Mm-hmm. I could see an Ozu version of this movie. Sure, because sure. sort of he, he, the made, he made a lot of movies children, about sort of yeah. like kids and their their mm. sort of tumultuous family lives. They, he did a movie called Good Morning, which is about these two kids who just want a TV. Yeah, and they go on like a, a silence strike. Mm-hmm. Like they're just not talking to their parents. They give them the silent treatment just so they can get a TV. Uh, so like o- Ozu sort of delved into this territory. I could see a version where a kid has dream, like some sort of fantastical dream. In mm. Ozu, it would probably be he's part of like a theater production or something yeah. a little bit more down to earth. He wouldn't do mm. monsters, right? But there, there's a a little bit more of an emotionally penetrating version of this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of, sort of breathless somewhere. for kaiju movies, or I'm living my life by what I've learned from kaiju movies. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. But it, but it's seen as like it's a little bit ambivalent. Like mm-hmm. there's some p- good things about it, but there's also yeah. like a lot of negativity. No, going I can, about I it, can yeah. absolutely see a more sophisticated, this is again, it's the ideas it raises when you mm-hmm. discuss them like all at once like this. And you sort of leave out the actual delivery mechanism of the film. Um, is actually kind of sophisticated in its ideology. Yeah. In fact, it's actually a pretty good comparison with sort of the Star Wars prequels, which have a lot of big ideas about uh, sort of the insidious nature in which fascism corrupts institutions and we fall mm-hmm. back into it and how that occurs. And a lot of people point to that now and say, wow, yeah, that those movies really were brilliant. No, <laughs> they were actually de- executed all of those ideas very bluntly, very coldly, very un- in a very unsophisticated way. They're, I don't think they're actually bad movies with big ideas. And we can appreciate the ideas, but I don't think that necessarily means they're good movies. A lot of bad movies have big ideas. All Monsters Attack, it's I don't think it's the worst Godzilla movie. Certainly not that I've seen. Um, in part because at least it's interesting. Yeah, I would, I would say this one and also Godzilla Raids Again is, oh, is, really? a, bit of, is a bit of a snore. Oh, um, really? I thought hmm. Godzilla Raids Again was fun, but okay. Right. Um, I, honestly, I'm trying to think of which one would be my low point right now. I'm going to think about that for a second. But um, no, I, I think it's actually got some things on its mind. I'll give it credit for that. And I think it actually explores its ideas a little better than some of the other Godzilla and Godzilla-adjacent films that, you know, kind of like want to be one movie and then just sort of, and then Godzilla shows up. Yeah. Uh like like um uh, like Mothra versus Godzilla for example. Uh but yeah, why, why, why no, you know what? Okay, it's kind of a cheat cuz it's not really a Godzilla movie, but Varan is not very okay, good. Okay, Varan, Varan is, is not very is, good. It's, yeah. it's not very good. Um I really <sighs> the actual Godzilla, the actual worst Godzilla movie so far. Mm. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Ebera. Um, I'll have to think about that. That's an interesting question. But yeah, this is Ever, definitely not Ever it, is not very good either. I'm not, no. not going to go to... It, I feel like the Japanese version, when I finally saw Ever a Horror of the Deep, yeah. as opposed to Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, Right. It, Ever is a better movie. But yeah, yeah, fair. It's still but that doesn't great, make it good. Yeah. But, um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll think about that maybe when we've gotten further down the line. But yeah, no, this is an interesting film. It's really fun to talk about. It's not that fun to watch. Part of it 
is, you know, I think there's a cynical version of criticism where, like, I just don't want to see a movie about a little kid. You know, when you're a little yeah. kid, maybe you don't want to see a movie about a little kid. You're trying to, like, get out of that realm. You're trying well, to disassociate. Especially, well, especially like, if you're, like, a slightly older kid. You're, you're not sure. going to want to see a movie about little kids. Yeah, sure. I can appreciate that. But I don't think it's about that. I think mostly it's a clip show. And if you're a fan of the series and you've seen all the movies, especially if you've been watching them like we have, like, regularly. Like, if you've seen every Godzilla movie, like, once a year. And then All Monsters Attack shows up. And, yeah, a lot of the movies have little clips from older movies. You know, oh, I've seen that building fall apart before. That yeah. kind of thing. But mostly new. This is mostly not new monster footage. And that's a letdown. It can't not be. Mm. I appreciate that you're working on a budget. I appreciate that you're trying to make it work. And I think you actually did a pretty good job considering the limitations that were on the production. But it's... Even at 67 minutes, it's a bit of a snore. Sadly. Um, So, yeah. Kind of a bummer. But... I had a much more interesting conversation about this movie than I expected. (laughs) And I will give it credit for that. This has been a fun podcast to make. Kudos. Well what done. Mean, kudos. What do we got next? Uh, next time on Think Godzilla, it's Friday. Uh, we are, it's it's our last a Godzilla adjacent movie. Maybe for the rest of the series, like the rest of these, like we have like some Mothra movies in the 90s, but like we've done some like podcasts where it was like Dogra, for example, which is really not directly connected to Godzilla, but like the monster or some element of it would show up later in Godzilla form. Yeah. This is the last one of those we're probably doing for a while. It's called Space Amoeba. Yay! And it's about space amoebas. And it's one of the last films directed by Ashiro Honda, uh, who would retire after making Terror of Mechagodzilla in 1975. But we have uh, Space Amoeba and five more Godzilla movies to do before we get to that point. Yeah. He'd retire from directing. He would eventually go back to working with Akira Kurosawa yeah. on some projects, but he wouldn't direct anymore. Uh, Ishiro Honda and Kurosawa worked together a lot. Yeah. In yeah. fact, uh, uh, Ishiro Honda, from what I understand, kind of pulled, was partly responsible for pulling uh, Kurosawa out of like his depression mm. that he was going through at I some point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. But yeah, the, Thank the, you. the two work together, and you know, when you a lot of uh, film scholars get a little blindsided by that fact that Ishiro Honda, the, this maker of these. Mm costumey tokusatsu films yeah. tooled around with Kurosawa who's like the, the elder statesman of the mm. medium at the time god that's uh, such a snobby way of looking uh, at it yeah, like, they couldn't yeah, yeah. possibly be friends they couldn't possibly be fr- how about they're just both <laughs> filmmakers who believe in their craft yeah maybe they admired each other's work well there's a there's a story of you know, William Friedkin just passed away but he has one more movie that's coming out uh, as of this recording it's a, uh, remake the of the Kane Mutiny yeah it's a, a contemporary remake of the Kane Mutiny it's the last film he ever directed uh, and they did this thing and it's not talked about a lot but when older, like older, older directors, like directors in their 80s, like direct a movie, uh, there is kind of like a failsafe a lot of movie uh, studios or producers will do where they will have another director on hand just in case something happens. Just if their health case, fails yeah, they, they, or something. Yeah, they die, uh, die of old age partway through production. It is, it is, and it is a possibility to be considered when you go into production and you don't want to get halfway through the movie and not be able to release anything. So you want a director who's there the whole time mm. and knows how it's going to go. Uh, when um, Robert Altman did The Prairie Home Companion, uh-huh. I believe uh, his backup director was Paul Thomas Anderson. 
Okay, and they didn't, sense, he ended yeah. up not being used, obviously. But like that was I, I don't know if it's obvious, but like he ended up not being used, and apparently Allman did all of it. Uh, and it turns out that William Friedkin's backup director on the remake of the Kane Mutiny by William Friedkin's request, Guillermo del Toro. Oh, weird. And you just wouldn't necessarily assume that Friedkin would ha- say like, you know, who's got my vibe? Guillermo del Toro, who has a very <laughs> specific vibe. And I think that's interesting. And I kind of wish I'd just known what they talked about. What a great okay. interview series that would have been. Can you imagine Hitchcock <laughs> Truffaut, but it's Friedkin del Toro? That'd be great. That'd be awesome, right? Oh, what would they even talk about? I would uh, just, I want to know. I, I was just looking up a little bit about uh, Space Amoeba, Space Amoeba, a.k.a. Yogg Space Amoeba. Yeah, uh, that's Yogg, how it was in yeah. America, yeah. Uh, the original Japanese title was Gizora Ganymace and Camibus, colon, Decisive Battle, exclamation point, Giant Monsters of the South Seas. Nice. What? They knew how to title movies the in Japan. Movies man. had movie titles they were really had demonstrative, yeah. you know, like Jesus. That, that's something I miss, and I've, I've complained about this before. Yeah. Um, they made all these Avengers movies, all these yeah. superhero movies from from Marvel, but they took a kind of a more modern version of those characters mm-hmm. as they appeared, sort of in the two thousands, right? Uh, or like may, maybe some of from the nineties, but yeah. mostly from the two thousands. Sure. Uh, you go back to like the sixties comics, and it's always like these. You know, the ridiculousness feels more in place because it's such an operatic universe. They use yeah. these gigantic uh, vocabulary and a lot of exclamation points. Mm. I shall take over the world, so saith doom. Well, well look at the titles. The, like, the, the comic wasn't called Thor. It was mm, called The, the Mighty, Mighty Thor. Thor. Yeah. The comic wasn't called Four People. It was called The Fantastic Four. And on the top of every it's cover. Like the greatest for, magazine ever. Or the something. world's greatest comics magazine there was emblazoned on the cover of every issue of Fantastic Four through at least the 80s. I remember buying my <laughs> newsstand with that and nobody argued. Ever questioned that. Everyone was like, so, I mean, yeah, kind of, yeah, basically. It's hard to argue Fantastic Four is the world's greatest comics magazine, So right? the, those movies got huge, but they never yeah. had that that kind of operatic quality, that gigantism yeah. of... The, the one... Uh, the one not gigantism, not, that's not the word. Uh, <laughs> no. grand, grandeur. <laughs> Jesus, Whitney. No, the, the one Marvel oh movie, God. the one Marvel movie that actually had... A, a, the title has poetry to it. Like I got uh, excited when I heard the title, and mm. then I was very disappointed when I saw the movie. It was Doctor Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? That's a great that's title. A title. Yeah, that's. I want to see that movie. And I was so pissed when they did Avengers: Infinity War, and that mm. was a cliffhanger. But they didn't reveal the title of the follow-up movie for a while. Yeah. And the implication was, oh, maybe it's like a spoiler or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. It's like, it'll be like, uh, you know, Avengers, this one's got War Adam Warlock in it or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. And then it was just Endgame. Just Endgame, yeah. What a, what a, what a nothing burger of a title. Yeah. It's like Endgame. So it's the end of the, the movie, right? That's the end of the story. You couldn't find any more no. poetic way to say that. You know, Endgame was also the the title of the last episode of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, right? It's just it's, a, it's, just, yeah. it's just a generic kind of name. It, it, it doesn't have any power kind of to it. Avengers Armageddon. It would have been the Something, same. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like it just uh, had no poetry. I miss poetry in titles, and I love hearing them. So, but yeah. um, we're we're still in the era when yeah. those kinds of titles were permitted in movies. Yeah. Anyway, so that's coming up next time on. Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. If you're listening to this episode on the main podcast feed, we come out every Friday, you can listen to that episode about Space Amoeba right now because every episode of Thank Godzilla, it's Friday airs on our Patreon one week early. 
to the day. So, if you're listening to this on the Patreon, those those everyone listening to it on the main feed, well, they still got Bambi meets Godzilla. You're way ahead of them. But if you want to be ahead of the pack, you can get on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You get to listen to this show and all of our new shows ad-free. You get to listen to St- uh, Think Godzilla. It's Friday, one week early, every week. You get to listen to bonus shows like uh, Only the Best International, where we're reviewing every single film that was ever nominated for Best International Feature at the Academy Awards. We just did the 1953 samurai tragedy Gate of Hell, which was a really interesting conversation. We also have Only the Best, which is uh, where we review every single Best Picture nominee at the Academy Awards in order. We just did 1953. 1954 is coming along. We got commentary tracks. We have all our yesterdays where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. And we're halfway through Star Trek Next Generation. So there's a huge back catalog to jump in on. We have a back catalog of shows about every single episode of the Adam West Batman. Every single episode of Firefly. Commentary tracks dating back. We've been doing that for years. There's a lot of material available for you. If you want to and if you can afford to, obviously, join the Patreon. Help keep the show alive. And we'll give you a ton of bonus podcasts. Like, literally hundreds of hours are available, depending on what you're into and what tier you join. Um, Thank you to all of our current patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You're the best. Thank you. You're really, really cool. If you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, can you confirm that Bill McCutcheon was (laughs) Minya in Godzilla's Revenge? Does anyone have actual concrete information? I am 99% certain it's him. It sounds like him. He was totally working at the time. It makes sense, but I cannot confirm it, and it's driving me up the wall. If you know, and if you can actually confirm it, not just, I agree, it sounds like him, let us know. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we're also on the various Twitters, uh, at Critic Acclaim, uh, Blue Sky at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. He's at Whitney Seibold, yeah. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box if people want to send a physical letter? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep, and if you send us an email or a letter, we might read your uh, correspondence on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, as of this recording, we just dropped... Like a two-hour episode of that. Like a really good long one. So maybe read your letter. I don't know. Uh, And uh, yeah. Anyway, we think you're all really, really great. Thank you for joining us on our Godzilla journey. And um, rawr! (laughs) Rawr!